What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Perkelhammer. So, today on the live stream, I have the pleasure of welcoming Hunter Hammond to the show. What's going on there, Hunter? Just uh, sitting here with you. <laughs> Chilling out here. I see a lot of people are making dinner or dessert out there in the chat. So, uh, yeah, starting to get a little hungry, but uh, you know, at least I got the beer here to uh, tide us over here, right? Um, yeah, so took your lead yes, yes. The, uh, what are you drinking that the, uh, the pumpkin, um, pumpkin Porter, uh, local brewery, four peaks. Nice. Yeah. I've got a, uh, a local, uh, a little sip of sunshine, a little single IPA, local, uh, brewer here in Vermont. So, all right, Hunter, um, what's going on with Hunter? Hunter is a hobbyist who is also an expert on the captive care of all reef safe wrasses. He is known as the Rask Guy, and you can learn more about this passion of his at theraskguy.com. So we're going to talk about wrasses as well as the latest on the situation at Reef to Reef concerning the LGBT community. Um, some more background on Hunter. He has a 270-gallon peninsula reef featuring numerous rare wrasses, and he has written many articles about these fish. He was a speaker at MACNA 2017, RAP 2019, and a panelist at Mini MACNA 2021. Uh, in his local community, Hunter has acted as the club president for AZ Frag uh, for several years. That's a local uh, uh, reef club, I assume. Yeah. Yep. yep. It's a local reef club here in Phoenix. We're the only Mazda chapter in the state. Nice. Uh, additionally, on a national level, he is involved with the Rainbow Reefers. He has been in the marine hobby since 2009 and lives in Phoenix, Arizona with his husband and their Thai Ridgeback dog. For his day job, Hunter is a structures engineer. Structures or structural? Uh, either or. It's, you know, tomato, tomato. In the aerospace propulsion engine industry. Whoa. That's, uh, that's some serious stuff. <laughs> Some days are more serious than others. But gotcha. Yeah, sure. All right. So before we start chatting with Hunter, I want to just thank the sponsors for this show, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the live stream. And I also appreciate all you folks tuning in. Please spread the word. Remember to uh, hit that like button. We're almost up to 50 concurrent viewers right now. Only 12 likes. So we got to bump up that like count so more people can find the stream. As always, I encourage questions, comments. And um, Paul, the moderator, will help me uh, sift through that stuff. So, Hunter, let's uh, let's start in terms of your reef keeping uh, journey and how you kind of like got into it and what uh, what's been your journey along the way. Yeah. Um, first off, thanks for having me. I didn't say that yet, and I certainly should have. Um, definitely uh, looking forward to this. Uh, okay, I started in about '09, end of '09, beginning of 2010. Um, and it's it, it as a kid i always kept the reptiles um and i still have a couple snakes for that matter uh <laughs> different story they're uh, around 30 years old so you know um anyway i always did reptiles as a kid um kind of why i did have a terrarium at one point that or a um a vivarium rather that had some water in it with toads and that sort of thing um so never really did salt at all as a kid. Um, mom always wanted to do a salt water tank. And so, uh, you know, I guess the seed was planted a long time ago. Um, and it really wasn't up until um, post-college and, you know, starting a career and, and having a paycheck that 
all of a sudden it kind of made me go, um, hey, maybe I could do that. You know, I I I had space in my living room at that time at the house I was currently in. And I, I literally had the debate if I wanted to do a saltwater tank or if I wanted to do a red eyed tree frog uh, kind <laughs> of exhibit set up. And, and I went the direction of saltwater and it's been there ever since. Um, that first tank was like a 120 long, which is an oddball style. I don't think you can even really see or find much anymore. Oh. Um, dimensions were terrible, uh, you know, knowing knowing what I know now with some experience. Uh, narrow and tall, just all around bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, before we started the stream, we were talking about making mistakes. And, you know, that, that first system uh, lasted mistakes, right? It was... It was shoved in a corner, you know. It was it was just one of those. It was a hang on back overflow, mm. you know. I, I I thought I had an idea of what I was doing and just really didn't at all. Um, it wasn't a bad system, but it certainly wasn't great. Uh, I went to a DSA 190 after that um, until I moved back in 2016 and then set up the 270 Peninsula at that time. Um, I've also got the seahorse tank right now. That's a more recent thing. I had a little 20 gallon frag tank in a corner that just didn't really see a whole lot of usage. And, and, um, the seahorse thing is, is a side story in itself that, um, my husband has always wanted them. And, you know, when I first got into this, it was, uh, Hey, can you put seahorses in there? And it's like, mm, not really, you need a dedicated setup. And, um, so, uh, I don't know. It's always kind of been one of those things. I started thinking about um, last year, mid-year, summertime, um, doing something different with that tank. And uh, the seahorse idea was brought up again. Got brought up again. And I'd really um, attribute the, the push over the ledge to uh, Felicia at Macna. You know, talking about it with her, and it was like, yeah, you should definitely do it. You'd be fine. And so now there's a seahorse tank in the corner. Well, so yeah, Hunter. Um passed along some video for both of those tanks and we'll uh we'll take a quick look at that i, I see we're getting some comments about the reef to reef stuff so why don't we uh hunter ad address that you know and, and uh i think there's some folks that don't know what's going on some that do you know so could you just kind of give us a um a summation of the you know what's going on with the with reef to reef and the lgbt uh community and and um you know where it kind of stands at this point in time yeah uh, i'd love to um <laughs> It's it's a, a a longer story. Um, I'll, I'll try to just stick to the, the bullet points, and if we want to dissect more from there, we certainly can. Um, so this this all stems back to late 2020, uh, in the early 21. It was really October 2020 um, when it kind of first bubbled up as a thing, but. Um, a, a trans man had made a thread, um, I believe, in the lounge at that point in time. Um, that was just looking for other queer people in the hobby. And at that time I was a moderator in Reef to Reef. I had been for like seven, eight years at that point, you know, had a lot of interaction with, with, um, you know, the, the people that ran things and behind the scenes and whatnot. Um, you know, there, there could be lots of stuff to talk about there. Um, but, you know, I had never, of course, I wouldn't, uh, have given my time and, and whatever to that site. For that period of time, had I ever thought that there was, um, you know, a negative uh, stance towards the LGBTQ community. And um, up until October of that time, I really hadn't seen anything that was that way. Now, I had known um, for a long time at that point, of course, prior to even becoming a moderator there, that the owner of the site, David Hammontree, he is a evangelist, um, 
uh, preacher, um, reverend. He has his own church. It's really his father's church who started it. It is a um, a sub chapter of a um, uh, a larger evangelist church that the name has just flown out of my head now. Um, I'd have to go back and look it up, but. Um, you know, so those that that know a bit about the evangelist branch, um, they tend to not be so kind to uh, you know uh, anyone who is not a, a straight white person. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and the right hand man of the site at that time and still today um, is uh, Daniel Bannister, who. Um, is also in that church community, if you will. He is a, a Southern Baptist uh, church planner. He's lived around the country and uh, has been in California for a few years now. Um, there's some side tangent with that I could share even too, that you know I have had several conversations with him over the years, nothing since early 21. Um, you know, I had even sat down and had dinner with his family before, you know, while they passed through Phoenix one time. Uh, so there was no bad blood or anything there ahead of time, but you know, actions speak louder than words when push came. Um, okay, enough background about those folks. So in October, uh, a trans van put up a thread about, you know, hey, is there any other queer people in the hobby? And uh, it was there for a few days, and then um, it kind of got a bit hostile in the thread, and you know, some some bigoted folks said some things that they shouldn't have, and things got reported, and then it bubbled up in the back room, and um, David just pretty much went and shut it down, just pulled the thread out, you know, and made it and sent it to the, uh, the, the removed, effectively, the deleted from public view section. And it was kind of like, a, well, wait a minute, what, what's really the problem here? That's not a problem with the thread, right? The problem is the people who came in and said some things they shouldn't have and made it be hostile. Right. But, okay, deal with that problem, right? right? Don't just take the thread away. Right, you, we, want be, you want to be civil in those kind of um, exchanges online. Right. Right. So it felt like a, a, um, a solution or a, rather a problem looking for a solution. Right? it was like, well, wait a second, that's not the right problem to deal with. Um, and so it, it didn't sit right with me, but, you know, we kind of just moved on. And then come December of 2020. Um, so I, I guess part of it, too, is uh, the Rainbow Reefers had already became a thing at that point, And we had a Facebook group. It's, it's, it's a private group, but uh, people can ask to join it. And um, you know, myself and a few other people moderate that group. And as long as, as you don't appear as someone who has no business being there, you know, we are not uh, opposed to, uh, to letting anybody in. It's not a secret, secret club by any means. But anyhow, uh, there was it, it came up to someone else's attention in that group that uh, this trans man had had their thread removed back, you know, in October, two months before. And it was like, well, well wait a minute. What? That's, that's not right. Why did that happen? And so this uh, individual in, in the group went and started another thread that was uh, just, you know, looking for other LGBTQ, LGBTQ people in the hobby. You know, just a common interest thread in the lounge. And um, it didn't last but mm, maybe like four hours oh, or really? so. It was gone pretty quickly. And so, you know, now, okay, big red flags. Um, and, and a lot of discussion in the back room. And um, I... There's a lot of this that, that leaked out on Humblefish over the years, too. Uh, you, you know, so so right away within the moderator pool on Reef to Reef, if you will, there was kind of a, a pretty big split right down the middle. There were those on my side that were going, this is not the right thing to do. You're not dealing with the right problem. You should not be discriminating against this group of people. 
And then there was, you know, a handful of others on his side going, oh, it has nothing to do with reefing. It shouldn't be a topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, the conversations were going on a lounge, which has got nothing to do with reefing. Right, right. And and so there's there's that, right? Like it's in the lounge, it's where it should be. And then the exact uh, analogous parallel to all of it is uh, you know, there's other threads in there of, you know, women and reefing, barbecuing and reefing, you know, all kinds of common interest things. And it's like how it, it's no different than any of those. And, um, you know, through and, and, and I, you know, understand how someone of an evangelist background would would um, would trip on this. Right. Because he was adamant that, no, 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 this is a topic of sexual nature. It's like, no, it is absolutely not. It is more sexual in nature than than uh, the woman in reefing thread. You know, this is about people's identity. This is not a conversation about sex. You know, go look in the woman in reefing thread. There's there's not talk in there of menstrual cycles and, you know, sexual positions, right? Like that's not <laughs> happening in there. It wouldn't be happening in the LGBTQ, LG, wow, I'm stumbling in my own words, LGBTQ thread either, you know? Um, it, it, it just right. wouldn't. Right, there, there's, it, um, you know, there, there's, um, Online forums in terms of the appropriate nature of the conversations that are going on, it's, it's you know, there are, I guess, uh, limitations, but uh, it sounds like there was just a, a broad, broad decision made about, um, you know, anybody with the uh, LGBTQ, um, you know, in that community. Yeah, right. So so then it went from bad to worse. And, you know, as this issue bubbled up and, you know, it came to broader attention where people got aware of it. Um, he went on a purge then, and he, he literally purged any thread from the site, you know, back from like 10 years before, any thread that had gay, lesbian, LGBTQ, you know, any, any of those phrases in the thread title, they all vanished up in one night, just all gone in the poof. Wow. I was like, well, wait a minute. Um, and so other people <laughs> tested this theory then too, like, is it just the words in the thread title? And, you know, lo and behold, anytime would... Uh, someone would start a thread like that or change the title to a build thread with those words, you know, it, it quickly got um, <laughs> fixed, right. erased. Um, so, um, you know, now the problem is fundamental. Um, uh, it, 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 again, the big split, I had people on my side. Uh, the the change.org petition, we haven't talked about that yet, but now you've got a link to it. Yep, it's um, in the video description. <clears throat> Great. That, that I encourage anyone who is, you know, uh, just hearing this for the first time, please go take a look at that. It's all very detailed and outlined in there. Also, take a look at the two updates to that petition. There's two of them that both have some key details also. Um, I am not afraid to say that I am the one behind that petition. All that information came from me and could be confirmed by the other moderators who were, you know, on on my side. Um, it, it is what it is. It's gotten over 3,000 signatures at this point, and... Um, you know, he has completely dug his heels in. And, uh, you know, we had one last conversation, uh, David and I, back in late December of 2020. And I'm, I'm sure we'll never have another one. Mm. Um, I, I tried to, you know, reach out to Daniel Bannister even, too, and kind of appeal to him. Like, you know, how are you standing idly by on this? Because he, prior to this, he was very, um, you know, pro uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, it was on, on the heels of George Floyd. And, you know, he was all about that from a social issue. And then on this issue, it was just completely nil, right? It's like, how can you possibly stand up for that and, and say nothing here? And and he completely ghosted me. So I'm sure we'll never have a conversation again. Either. Um, others have been impacted as well, right? You're not the only one that was uh, discriminated oh, against, right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, 
you know, I, I could give you a list of uh, a couple dozen people really easily that that all had uh, content erased or deleted. Um, and then, you know, anyone who even just allies within the community that were making noise about this. So all of those people then got put on a moderated post where they, you know, they can post things, but it shows up in a moderator's queue to where their posts have to be approved before they're publicly visible. So they completely controlled the narrative. They shut down all the conversation. They didn't want people to be saying about it and just, you know, hush the whole thing. And then there was one thread. It was a, those who love rainbows thread that, you know, it's all euphemisms and whatnot that's talked about in there. No one used the words that they didn't want to see. So they let that stand. Um, there's some people today that think that was, I think that thread's gotten locked down the, like last six months or so. Um, yeah, thanks for the signatures. So I started watching the comments. On the yeah, side we've, here, but, we've got yeah. some interesting comments. Uh, Tony um, D300G, fish and corals aren't Christian. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, also, he says um, some fish can change sexes. Okay. Um, Rob yeah. BZ Reef, I was already on the fence about leaving that place due to leadership, but when I caught wind of this, I left and don't want anything to do with that. I signed that petition. Yeah, I mean, personally, I haven't, um, you know, since I got wind of this, uh, I haven't engaged in any, um, you know, conversations on, on Reef to Reef. I haven't been on, on, on Reef to Reef. So, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, this has to, uh, you know, be going on in the world that we live in today. I mean, we're such, you know, it's such a progressive society, you would think, and to see this kind of discrimination going on, uh, it's just not right. You know, we're all reef keepers, right? We all have this commonality and, and uh, you know, there's purple reef keepers and there's green reef keepers and, and uh, whatever, you know, however you want to put, uh, you know, labels on people, but we're all, you know, got the same um, interests at heart and we're all passionate about the same thing. And, and um, you know, the fact that, people are making judgments about others in that regard is, um, you know, kind of hard to take in my opinion. Yeah. And that, that was a really burned me about it too, because it's like you are driving a wedge in the community. Like you, you are creating division. Like you're not being a, a loving, uniting community. You, you are doing the exact opposite. And, you know, that was not the message he had, you know, pun maybe intended, you know, that was not the message he had preached for years. Um, you know, suddenly it was just completely opposite. And, and, you know, of course, I had some sleepless nights about all this while it was going down and whatnot for a few weeks there. And, you know, at some point in time, you start to question yourself and, you know, think about, did I make a bigger thing about this than what it is? And um, I, I, this is not in the petition, but uh, some people have heard this uh, for me in other places. Uh, and, and some people caught it when it happened. Then the, the a Sunday, like uh, maybe like three weeks after all this had happened, maybe even two weeks, a Sunday after that, um, David Hammondry did a sermon, and uh, it was broadcast on on the church's Facebook page because it was still in the pandemic, and they were doing you know like remote uh, Sunday sermons. And his whole sermon was how they were, or he, they, whatever, were at war with the devil, and that's what it was all on. And you know, it was very clear to me that uh, you know, listening to this from the outside, that. Either I was the devil or I was representing the devil, but but whatnot. You know, it was way too timely and and spot on for this to be the thing. And I even had some other people, you know, in the background that were uh, really working with me when all when all of it was happening. Uh, you know, that pinged me on it. That were like, "Have you seen this yet?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, I, I have." Um, but you know, that was so telling right then that it pretty much you know made me at at ease and and you know really um, click that that this was not, you know, just me making it bigger than what it was. It, it really was that. Yeah. Um, 
sponsors, right? Sponsors have been, um, there's been some sponsors that uh, I understand. Well, I don't want to make assumptions on some sponsors I've left, but um, I guess yes. they have. Okay. Yes. Uh, Coral View, that was the reason they completely pulled out. So, you know, I, I've been in this hobby for, you know, 12 years now. Uh, I go to Macna every year. I, Were you, you know, there the last Macna? I was, ah, yeah. I missed you. I was the only Mac I've ever been to. <laughs> well, if, if you're in Pittsburgh, I'll say yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I've, I've met a fair bit of people over the years and, you know, have built a, a pretty decent network. So I had some key resources, vocals that I, I could and did reach out to while this was happening and, you know, going, hey, what can you help me with? But what can you do or what advice do you have? And, and and I got a lot, um, but I certainly had some people that were in right positions. And I'm, I'm being vague because, you know, I don't want to make them publicly known on what they did because um, I, you know, they did it very hush hush, you know, from the channels they have. But there were some of those people who put pressure on some of those key sponsors and made them aware of what was happening. And Coral View is the biggest example of, of they saw it, they reviewed all of it, and they, they quietly stepped away. Um, they they didn't make it known why they were leaving, but you know we we knew. John Gordon, there are way too many companies that will not talk about this, and most of the hobbyists are unaware of the issues. John Wright, I can't believe we need to have this conversation. We're all humans and reefers. Surely there's no discrimination between reefers. Um, so um, what else can folks do? Folks can reach out to sponsors just to make sure that they're aware of this, correct? Yeah, we, we, you know, I, some of the newer sponsors may be unaware, but, you know, anyone who was a sponsor at the 2020, 21 timeframe, um, they all were aware because we uh, reached out to them. Uh, you know, we kind of put a campaign out, if you will, to, to put some pressure on sponsors to, to make them aware. And, and they were certainly all made aware. Um, we got some pushback from a lot of them in the sense of um, I don't like, you know, the common message was this and, and it, it sucks. Um, you know, it, it was, I don't like what's happening, but, um, I don't endorse it and I can't afford to pull out of reef to reef because they provide me too much, um, you know, broad reach for my business. And, and that's disheartening to hear, but at the same time, it's like, well, I don't want to, um, you know, put, put someone in a bad financial position because they are no longer a sponsor. Right. So we, we did try to soften the message a little bit at that point because uh, some of them also saw it as, you know, threatening on, on the message we were giving them of, you know, you have to leave Reef to Reef or else we're going to do this. And it's like, well, no, it's not so much of a threat, um, but OK, maybe it wasn't done the best way it could have been. So besides, uh, you know, a forum like this if, 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 and besides the uh, the petition, what else are you guys doing in terms of outreach to try to, you know, um raise the visibility of this issue or is that kind of um what the uh, the main forums have been we I, so there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of reach on humblefish um because right. uh bobby's who runs that and and bobby was a former moderator from reef to reef as well um you know i'm sure he'd tell his own story on that but uh he left the site prior to all this happening and you know was kind of burned by a lot of things that had happened too um, so he was very open and receptive to uh, uh, giving us an open seat. Um, Reefs.com did the same thing. Uh, they gave us some airtime and a section on their forum. That um, didn't get a whole lot of traction, unfortunately, but it was, you know, a nice gesture for sure. Um, 
we did try to, you know, reach out to some of the bigger social organizations, HRC, ACLU. Um, we, I, I and myself from some of the other uh, Rainbow Reefers did, you know, reach out to them and try to try to see if we could get anything there. And um, really no bites. It, it really much turns into it's too much of a niche thing uh, for them to to put their resources on. Hmm. And, and I get it because they're looking at it going, well, OK, it's an issue with a private entity who is ultimately free to do what they want. Right. Which is true. And, you know, w- what sucks is what I've already outlined that that he just buries it. You know, that that's his solution to, to dealing with it is just not let people know that it's happening. So nothing has really changed since the initial uh, issue had popped up. There's really no movement on that um, side of the fence. No, I, and I don't. I don't ever see it happening. I don't see his side of the fence ever moving. He's he's a double down, triple down, you know, whatever at this point. Um, so we have talked about, you know, how do we get more awareness? And and it's kind of stalled out over the last couple of years. But um, one thing I would like to resurrect this year, and I've got a few people to help me do it, um, is just to reach out to all the local clubs we can possibly come up with. You know, yeah. make make all the clubs known around the country aware of it, and you know, then they can do what they they so choose to do. Um, but that's been the more recent conversation is just how do we spread awareness to, you know, all these people who have no idea. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm just looking at the, uh, comments. Um, Paul signed. Thank you. Petition. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, all right, man. So, um, anything else you wanted to say on, on, on that front before we, uh, switch gears, you know, as, uh, we talked about before, if, um, you folks out there want to sign this petition. The link for it is in the uh, in the video description, as well as the um, the update. Right, I think about the um, the situation. There's also another link in there about about the update on on the situation. So so please check uh, check those out if you want to help. Um, you know, with this uh, with this issue. Um, what did change is Rev never comes on shows like this where he could be asked questions. That's and Andy. Uh, yeah, you know, I, um, I did, uh, reach out to, to, um, David Rev a couple of times to get him on the show. And, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on at the time in terms of this issue. So he, um, he declined and, um, I haven't really had any communication with him in, in, in a while, but, um, I'm not sure he would, you know, if he was, on, if he was on the show that he'd be talking about it. So that's perhaps the reason why, um, He's not going to be too excited to come on. No, I'm sure he would tell you what he told all the sponsors at the time that it was, uh, and this is captured in the petition too, but, um, you know, one of the sponsors asked about it and, uh, he basically said, Oh, there's a few people causing a ruckus and we're just dealing with those people. Um, and, and we're not removing content. It it was, it was a, a half truth for sure. And again, uh, I, you know, Hopefully this one trickles back to Rev, but I, I had enough friends and folks at the time um, that I could reach out to a few of the sponsors and, and ask, you know, hey, what's getting said over in these areas? And uh, people sent me screenshots. You know, I, I know exactly what he told those people, even after he removed that whole section from the moderators being able to see. Um, you know, I, I've only touched on, you know, maybe like 60 percent of all the, you know, crap that happened yeah. with it. But that was one of the things, you know, sections that all the moderators could see for, for years prior to that. He started removing uh, from from view from all the moderators uh, because it was too hard to keep the lies straight. Right. If people could see things. 
So a few comments here. Um, Adam Prag Garage <clears throat> petitions in the um, the video description. There's a link in the uh, the video description. <clears throat> All right. So Michael Baldwin. Um, um, I'm, I guess maybe I'm missing an earlier comment. That's my point. He makes the rules, and if he wants to stay, I abide by them. Um, uh, Andy Scott uh, Olafent, uh, Michael Baldwin. I think you're missing the point. There are unequal rules on reef to reef posts relating. To us are being deleted, but other off-topic ones are not. <clears throat> um, Andy and lots of um, people left Reef to Reef and Humblefish grew. Uh, Sean Clark, I had no idea this was an issue. Scott, exactly. It's an age-old religious prosecution. Discrimination of LGBTQs, that is what's behind it. <clears throat> um, reef Girl... Hey, Cindy, I don't do forums. Hearing this blows my mind. Religion has a lot to answer for when it comes to doing the opposite of the supposed Christian tenet of live and let live. Takes guts for you to fight it. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. Yeah. I tried to do what I could, you know. Um, I see another comment here, too, of uh, we need we need Ben and Reg from uh, Reef Beef. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did an episode. Yeah, I saw that. Not off the top of my head, but it's it's been one of the early ones, uh, like like fifteen or less. But yeah, um, go check. Yeah, we talked about it for like 30, 40 minutes on there one time. Go uh, go check out that episode. It's a uh, it's a really good episode. Um, Surf Zone Aquatics laugh out loud. I can no longer post on Reef to Reef because of this. Um, yes, uh, the live view of the monitors. Okay, so um, yes, all right. We've got a lot of uh, people that uh, are chatting about this, but um, we'll um, all right. We'll, uh, we'll we'll shift gears a little bit, talk about races, but we could always come back to this if the uh, if the chat <laughs> sways the uh, the show that way. We'll uh, we'll certainly not ignore the uh, the comments. This is obviously a very important uh, topic to discuss, and um, yeah, I mean, Hunter, whatever you um, you know think you need to do in terms of. Um, you know, further discussing this, I am open to that for sure. Um, yeah. All right, Rasses, you're the Rass guy. How do you become fascinated with Rasses? Uh, how? Mm, I don't even know if I can explain the how. It's just, <laughs> it's just one of those. I, I don't know. Like some people get really in the tangs or angels. Um, I, I suppose it was just Rasses for me. The um, the why maybe being uh, that there's a whole lot of, of diversity and, and variety there. Um, and they're also really great reef fish. You know, I, I kind of saw that problem with um, you know, angels, I think is a good example. There's a lot of people who really love angels. Um, but there's a lot of them that, you know, munch on corals. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, things like that were never all that appealing to me. Um, so, I don't know. It just kind of became... The fish I honed in on at the beginning, and it, it snowballed from there. What uh, what do you remember? Which ras you uh, first started with? Yeah, um, I've told this story before. Uh, I know I started at my my Magnum presentation here, but the, the the short version is I bought a little Labuti at a local store. It was like a couple inches. Um, I, I'll always remember the price tag. It was you know 119 bucks. It was the first mm. uh, you know expensive that's pricey yeah at that point it was like it, it was and this is back like you know 2010 time frame so um i had bought a couple clowns at that point and that was about it but anyhow so bought a little uh um labuti ras so labuti and um 
I had, you know, done, done my research, right? Like everyone should. And I had the tank fully covered. It was covered with egg crate. And uh, I bought the fish, brought it home. Um, this was, you know, prior to knowing the importance of QT, but, you know, again, early days. Uh, put it in the main tank. I watched it that afternoon, evening, went to bed. Woke up the next morning, you know, came down, looked at the tank. I'm looking for my, my new rass. I'm going, where, where is the fish? <laughs> and, you know, it was daylight enough where it's like, should have been out by now? I'm not really sure. And I, I looked for probably two, three minutes, and then I looked down at the floor. Uh. And there it was. And, and, you know, it was small enough where it had gone right through the egg crate. Whoa. And, and then to add insult to injury, uh, it had been there for hours at that point. So it was completely dry and it was on a tile floor and it was stuck to the floor. <laughs> I once had a, um, we talked about this when, when um, a couple of days ago, when we did a little uh, quick test via Skype. I, um, I love Chiodi, Chiodi leopard wrasses. And I've had two in my uh, reef keeping, uh, you know, career. And, and, um, so the second one I had, which was, uh, in, in the current tank I'm running, right. One of my current uh, display tanks, it, I don't, I don't have screens on my, uh, top of my tanks and, and, um, but I've got Euro bracing and that, that, that was another question for me is like, uh, that was going to happen for you, but we could talk about that a little bit. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I, I kept Chiodi leopard rests for years without any issues, but this one probably I had them for like three years. I came home and there it was on the tile floor and it was dried. It was like freeze dried. So I was like, Oh shit. And I, I picked it up and I, you know, I, I don't know how dry it wasn't like stiff as a board, but it looked pretty darn dry to me. I put it in the tank and it resuscitated and lived for another couple of years before it jumped again. <laughs> and then I didn't see it jump. And then, uh, you know, of course that was that, that was that, but, um, so yeah, I've heard those stories before. I haven't, I haven't ever done that one myself, but I've heard people put a dried fish in the tank and it was still alive. And I've got a, a live webcam on my uh, on my uh, tank, so I was trying to like do the uh, the replay of the event in terms of where, when it jumped out, and I knew exactly you know the time frame. And for some reason, the live webcam didn't capture the uh, the thing jumping out. I just thought that was odd. I was like somebody was covering something up there, and I, I don't know, but. Um, a stupid side note. So, um, was it, was it fast enough that it was like, you maybe, know, maybe in the frame rate of the camera? May, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it just couldn't get captured because it was so quick. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of questions about Rasses in the, uh, in the chat. And, um, let's, let's, let's run some video of your, uh, of your current tank and kind of talk about, um, the 270 gallon peninsula tank. I, I know you, uh, sent this to me and it was like some heavy blue light. I tried to like take out some of the, uh, the blue light, but, um, so, uh, really cool tank. It's, it's really not that blue. I know I told you this, but you know, to the eye, it's like a 14 K halide that that's where I like to keep my tanks. And then I put the cell phone camera on it and it's like, why does this look like Windex? But yeah. So yeah, just tell us a little about about this uh, tank and and the uh, the inhabitants. Um, so it's a two seventy peninsula. It's six by three by two um, acrylic tank. Uh, tiny plug to a local company, but uh, Titan Aquatic is here in town. Yeah. They they do they do big stuff. They do like public aquariums and uh, you know big displays. Um, so they don't do a whole lot of small work. Even the hobbyists in town, they don't do a whole lot for. Um, uh, but one of the guys that's on the club board with me has worked there for several years. And so, you know, um, a, a resource to use anyhow. 
so they they did the tank itself. They also did the sump for me. Um, I I know one of those video clips I sent you. I kind of just did a walk around of the the stand and the equipment as well. Yeah, we're we're looking uh, at that right now. Yeah, great. Uh, so tank setups and system design, if you will, has always been a, a thing for me uh, that I pay attention to. Uh, I, you know, call out the engineer in me. Uh, but I, I make a point to try to get my electronics and, and the, the sparky bits away from the wet area, you know, so I like mm. to have a wet and a dry area yeah. in my stand. Yep. Um, so that's part of the stand design is there's actually a, like a divider in it about, um, it's kind of like a two thirds, one third kind of nice. division. Yeah. And so the front, the front cabinet is where all the electronics are at and the dry space, if you will. And then the sump and everything wet is on the other two thirds of the stand. Um, Equipment-wise, uh, it's a Fluval SP6 return pump that pretty much runs everything. I manifold off of that. Um, I run some carbon GFO. I run a calcium reactor. Um, there's like a 20-gallon ATO in there. Uh, lighting right now, I just just changed this over um, at the end of the year, but I've got uh, four Kessel 500s on it and a couple Reef Bright strips. Um I've done all kinds of different lighting over the years. I had T5s in the tank now for the last uh, probably four or five years. Um, didn't dislike it. I just was uh, ready to lose a little bit of heat in the room from the T5s and went to the LEDs. Um, what else? Um, there's a couple Panta 42s on it that run in like a gyre sense. Those are, uh, those are some serious pumps. Yeah, I really like them. I had Ecotech MP60s on it for several years, and they were okay. Um, I, I didn't hate them, but there were some downsides. Uh, the holes in them, or, or the slots, the spacing in the, the slots, if you will, is kind of big, and um, definitely lost some fish in those. I heard them called yeah. fish killers for years, a long time, and I didn't really believe it. I believe it now. Um, so there's a couple of Panta 42s, and there's also um, a Tunzi. Oh, I forget what model number it is. It's, it's one of the big ones. Um, got a wide flow on it and i've got that set to just basically do a, a wave in the tank and and you've got a uh it's like a mixed reef too right i mean in terms of the corals you have in that tank yeah correct it's mostly stonies um i like to um kind of how it's aquascaped it's got the taller stuff on the uh the back end of the tank if you will and then it kind of tapers down to the the peninsula end and the lps are more on that side um, I, you know, one of my long-term goals is I want to keep the, the view perspective down the tank, right? So where you can always stand at the front of the tank and look all the way at the back. Um, so the corals are laid out a bit strategically for that. Yeah. I have a, um, a pretty similar tank to what you have. I have a 225 gallon peninsula tank. So it's six foot long by three foot wide, but only 20 inches, um, tall, you know? So okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm more into the, uh, to the SPS. So it's a real, you know, SPS dominant type of tank and, and, you know, height wasn't, um, that big of a uh, deal for me, but the, um, the challenge is the flow, you know, in a peninsula tank and trying to like yeah. make it, um, so it's, it's not obtrusive. Right. And I had to, I started out with four MP forties at the, at the end with the, you know, the external overflow box, um, you know, to try to like hide it that way as best as I could. But, with the uh, with the SPS and and the polyps and and what have you, I I was not getting good, um, you know, um, you know, polyps were not really moving on the other side of the tank. So I ended up adding, you know, um, I had I added two MP60s. So I, in, instead of having four MP40s at the end of the tank, I have um, two MP60s and two MP40s, and then I 
added, um, I put the two other uh, MP40s at the other end, the viewing end panel of that tank. So I, I wanted to try to avoid doing that, but I'm used to looking at it now and it's, and it doesn't bug me. And, and, um, you know, I know it's best for the uh, critters in my tank, but it is a challenge, right? I mean, in terms of getting uh, that kind of flow going, but the pan arrays, that's, uh, that's some serious, serious pushing power. Yeah, I really like those. I mean, they're the, um, the flow pattern is really different on them. It's a very narrow jet. Um, but so, okay, just uh, use that to your advantage. So, but, but yeah, a six foot reach is totally possible with them. Wow. Um, all right. So let, let's talk about fish. What, what kind of wrasses do you have in the, uh, in the tank? I see uh, Andy is asking, what is your longest lived colorful wrass? My fairy wrass only lasts uh, a year or two. We can get into the uh, specific stuff. But what do you have right now in the, uh, in the tank in terms of wrasses? Rare wrasses, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's an, uh, a revolving door for sure because, yeah, they do have a limited lifespan. So let me, let me touch on that really first before I completely forget it. Um, I like to buy my stuff at a, a smaller juvenile size um, for two reasons. One, it's a little bit cheaper. Not that that's really the primary driver, but the, the biggest thing is the lifespan. You know, if you, if you buy smaller ones, you get to watch them grow up and you get to keep them longer. Um, you, you know, you'll see the biggest price tags on, on the super males or, you know, the ones that are the most showy and colorful, uh, which is fine if, if you're just in for the, uh, you know, immediate satisfaction. But um, back to the lifespans not being super long for some of the species, you don't really know how old those fish are. And uh, they might only have six months left. That's the reality. Wow. Um, so, so I forgot the name you said it. Who had the comment there? And I'm not looking past it. And, Andrew. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's possible that Andrew had something that was, you know, already old to begin with, if you will. Um, so, okay. Uh, I do like to buy my stuff smaller. Uh, that, that occasionally doesn't work out. MP60s are a bad recipe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the worst one was a candy bass. Uh, and it, and oh, he went no. head first into it. You know, they that gone really down. must have hurt. Yeah. It was, yeah. And, and it was one of those where it's like, I know there's something wrong with that fish. Like, I had just seen him, you know, two hours before that, and uh, he was just fine. Anyhow, um, uh, so currently what's in there? Um, I've started to diversify a little bit in the last six months, I'd say. And some of that is um, just some problems that I've had with the tank. Um, and, and Rich Ross did a thing at MACNA talking about, you know, herbivores and and if you look at wild reefs, you'll see the patches that are always kept somewhat algae-free are, are those with herbivores. And if you have an area where there's not many, there tends to be more algae. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's pretty elementary, but I hadn't really thought of it that way. So um, my more recent additions are, one, a copper band. That's to uh, deal with the aptasias that have popped up in the last year. I had a marginalis butterfly prior to that for several years. Did a great job of keeping the tank clean. Um, but you know, a year after he was gone and it's like, Oh, I'm starting to raise an Aptasia farm now. And that's not, um, you know, there's other people that are going to say, Oh, you have other solutions. It's like, yeah, but, um, my tank full of wrasses, uh, new to Bronx won't work. I've tried it. Um, that's a waste of money. Have you even tried, uh, peppermints? You know, I have, but again, kind of same problem with some of the wrasses. They may go after uh, um, yeah. you know, hit and miss. Um, I don't think I've tried it with ones I currently have, but yeah, maybe worth a try again. Um, so anyhow, copper band, there's an Achilles tang in there and also a, um, um, scribbled rabbit fish. I can't think of the Latin right now, but, uh, I really had grabbed the rabbit because I've got a, uh, 
a um, mm, Caldiferopsis, I think. I'd have to go back and see if I got that right. But I've got a, a wiry green algae in there that's um, kind of an oddball and is one of those where it um, has been known to be, you know, a tank tear down for people to get rid of it. Oh, um, but wow. ra- rabbit fish will eat it. So that's the only reason I have him. Otherwise, it wouldn't have appealed to me. So some function there. Um, and the Achilles I wasn't too worried about because, you know, there's a lot of flow in that tank and I thought I'd be fine with it. He's been in there several months now. Um, sorry, enough about those guys. Uh, I also have a Tomini tank that I've had for, that might be the fish I've had the longest. Nice. No, I've got a clown I've had longer, but, uh, I've had that Tomini tank for probably 10 years. I'd have to go back and look. Um, pair of clownfish, one of those was the, one of the first fish I ever bought, um, I lost the female a few years ago for no reason at all. Um, things happen. Um, but I've got another old time, uh, female in there now with my original male. Um, that's a story in itself, but, uh, it was a local breeder of clownfish that was completely getting out of the hobby after he was a commercially scaled breeder for a long time. And this was his original pair of clownfish and he had just recently lost the male. And so I, I have his female that's 20 you know, some years old now, but, Whoa. um, wow. Anyhow, enough of the, the non-RAS fish. So RAS-wise right now in there, and I may miss a few. I'm just going to go off the top of my head. But there is a, a black leopard. Um, there's a Vivian leopard, a potter's leopard. Nice. Um, there is a uh, a jeweled that... that jeweled leopard, leopard people rest? People call them a jeweled leopard, right. But technically they're a halicorus. Um, that's, you know, it, it's kind of an in-between species or even the... Uh, the classification of them was not super clear, but it, they're technically a halicorus. Um, there's a halicorus richmond eye in there. That's a species you don't see very often, but uh, it's super, super pretty. Um, the the blue stripes on that guy are, are iridescent wow. like the, the femininuses. Um, I do have a femininus in there as well. Um, what else? There's a lineatus, a rhomboid. Um, I've got a little Earl, Earls and Earli and QT right now. I had an Earli uh, a long time prior to that. I should go back and look and see how long I kept that Earli. Uh, but it was from juvie size to you know full grown and old. And, and I knew it was coming. It was one of those where you, if you do this long enough, they start to get a look to them and a body shape. And they just start to turn into an old fish and you can see it. And, mm. and I saw it with him and I knew it was coming. And, and so that was uh, a few months ago. Um, so I got a, got a new Earls. Um, Mm, I, I'm definitely missing some. Um, what um, what uh, do you not have that you would like to have? Oh, that's an endless list. Um, <laughs> and, and some of those are, are simply ones that are unobtainable, um, which maybe is part of the appeal. Uh, yeah. I guess one of the ones that's been at the top of the, the uh, unattainable list for a long time is the Purple Boned. They come out of the Red Sea. And that's kind of the problem, um, you know, where they're most known is off of Sudan and they can be collected there. But, you know, trade embargoes, we can't take anything from Sudan. Uh-huh. Um, and they're also known up by Egypt, but, you know, no one collects up there. So maybe someday, but um, until then. Um, Sanguinus is another really cool species down in the Mauritius. Uh, there was a little bit of collection of those a few years back. Um, it was a specific trip. And, uh, you know, somebody on a rebreather, uh, went down deep to get them. Um, and then it turned into a mess after that because they kind of got held for, for extortion fees a little bit along the way. And it it didn't, it didn't go as planned, but, uh, some did come to the States and and I had an opportunity, but it was just a price tag that, um, I just wasn't willing to do. 
Um, yeah, everybody has their uh, has their limit, right? Yeah, the, the the fish that was probably the most rare that I ever kept was uh, a Claire's ras, um, and and this was so Cirrolabris Claire. Uh, there's kind of a split there where there's um, two different uh, variants of them. There's the one that's actually the described variant. That's the one I kept. And then there's some um, that came out of the Cooks a few years ago. No, I said that backwards. The originals from the Cooks. There's some that came out of. Um, mm, my memory is failing me. Um, it was where uh, Rufus collected peppermint angels, but he collected the other variety at the same time. Um, so there's been a few more of those than the Cook Islands original variant. But um, I had there was five of them that came into the states, and I had grabbed one of them. And I paid a couple grand for that fish, and, and I kept it for about six, seven years. And you know, right. same thing. Just kind of got the old look, and I knew it was coming, and you know, went away. The thing I'm mad about is that it vanished in the tank on me. I, I had a plan to you know pull it out and take fin clips, you know, send it off to the the taxonomist because they they all wanted you know the the DNA samples. Yeah, and, and I couldn't deliver. Well, yeah, that uh, sounds like an awesome fish. Uh, let's let's uh, take some uh, some of the questions from the. Um from the, uh, the chat here, Vivid Creative Aquatics. Hunter, what is the typical lifespan of a yellow chorus wrasse in an aquarium? I've had two and lost both at around six to seven year mark, the most recent one just a few weeks ago. I guess it also depends in terms of how old that fish is when you get it. Right. And and so I, this is, this is always a fun topic, but you know, cause the people always want to know how long do they live? And, and so the, the first caveat there is we don't really know. Um, you know, I have my own personal thoughts and, and experience that I've collected over the years, and um, people definitely agree agree that it's uh, uh, genus dependent. Um, you know, some, some genera is definitely longer live than others. Halicorus are, are kind of in the middle. Um, I, my personal thoughts there is they probably live about eight to ten years on average. Um, but yeah, the important point is, well, how old was it when you got it? And so that, that's easy to kind of gauge if it's, you know, a smaller juvie because it's probably a year or two, you know, no more. But once it's a bigger size than that, it's kind of all bets are off. So um, I vivid I, that that's Antonio. He's local to me. You know, he's he's in my club, too. But uh, so Antonio, my answer is that uh, that's probably about the right time frame if it was, you know, mid size when you bought it. Right. Um, a couple of things here. So. One one question I have for you is, um, you know, so certain races can be difficult to keep, right? And if you're getting yes, if you're getting juveniles, does that make it even tougher to uh, to keep those those uh, that um, are difficult? It, yeah, it, it can. Um, and so I guess, you know, so like fairies and flashers, I don't hesitate at all to get them as juveniles. They're they're some of the easiest. Um, you know, like a juvenile leopard, you know, if it was really small, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. And that's not even one I would uh, willfully take on. Um, so, I, you know, how small I'm willing to go depends on the genus as well. What, um, where can you get a juvenile fish besides, I mean, you know, I, obviously I guess a local fish store is a great place to uh, request some sort of juvenile fish, right? Because the local fish store can make a request to their supplier to say, Hey, you know, I got a customer that's interested in certain fish, but they'd like it on the, uh, the, you know, the smaller side. Um, so that's my first question. Then my second question to those of us that uh, don't have a uh, local fish store anywhere close by, what online vendors would you say are good places to shop for fish? 
Um, I mean, some of the big box stores do a pretty decent size, a pretty decent job of classifying sizes on their sales too. Um, it, one that comes to mind quickly is like Blue Zoo, um, but it's not unique to them by any means. But you know, they will list out the, a certain species by size, and usually the bigger it is, the more expensive it is too. Um, so, and yeah, you know, of course, sometimes they get it wrong. You know, you might buy one that says two to three inches, and it shows up and it's like four, but okay. Um, so, but, but generally they're pretty good about it. Um, who else? I, I, this is the point in time where, um, four or five years ago or before I would have, uh, mentioned Lime Aquaria. It's uh, changed, uh, right? It, it, it has, and it's, there's a reason why it has. The ownership has completely changed over, um, Kevin Cohen, who was the director for years is no longer with the company. Yeah. He left with the ownership change and, and the last, uh, two, three years, it's certainly, um, they've gotten into, you know, shaving the margin and making everything pencil out better. And, and I hate to say that it's being ran into the ground, but, uh, personally, I kind of feel like it is. And I, I've quit, I've quit using them as a vendor to be perfectly frank. Um, I've gone to a lot of the smaller vendors and it's not like I, I, I have preferential names here, but, um, and places that you might spend more to, to get what you want. But, um, Eric Cohen has a new site, um, Tank Stop. Uh, I think it's tankstop.com, but he also took over Among the Reef. Yeah. Um, so that can be a good source, too. Um, uh, I'll also, I've bought several fish from marine collectors. That's um, Elliot Lim in the L.A. area. Gotcha. Um, some of the California vendors are a little bit easier for me because, you know, stuff gets here overnight really easy from California, yeah. from, from Arizona. It's uh, usually like one flight from Oakland to Phoenix, and that's it. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a challenge for me because I used to use Live Aquaria all the time, and and uh, I got actually my uh, my second Chiodi Ras I got from Live Aquaria, and it, and it lived for like three years, and and um, I'm not exactly sure how I pulled that off <laughs> because that's an extremely mm -hmm. tough uh, leopard ras, and you, you can't even find those things uh, hardly anymore. Um, I guess maybe there are certain times of the year that they're more uh, prevalent than, than other times of the year. But, uh, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I had uh, um, Bobby Miller on from Humble Fish uh, uh, a number of weeks ago. And we were talking about that in terms of, like, what, what, what would you uh, say are good places to get, uh, you know, fish online besides a local fish store? And we were also talking about, uh, you know, quarantining. So you mentioned that you have a, a quarantine tank set up. What, um, what kind of uh, setup is that? I don't have a permanent quarantine setup. I, 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 you know, put it up and take it down as I need okay. to. Um, and, and it's not, it's not fancy. I don't, I don't do QT in a glamorous fashion by any means. Um, so I've got like a 10 gallon tank and a 20 gallon tank and you know what I use depends on what I'm doing. Um, but I, I'll, I'll set them up on the fly. I do, you know, fresh water in them and, uh, I'll put some, um, just poly filter and a hang on back filter and go and I'll do, you know, weekly water changes on them and just just keep it updated yep and what uh what meds do you uh, use when you uh you know purchase a fish and put it in that uh, tank um so <laughs> in in typical reef fashion um it, it depends some of it depends on you know who i get it from uh if you deal with a vendor long enough you kind of you know learn how much to, to trust them if yeah. you will um you know not not that i think i can wholly trust anyone because because i don't i never have no you can't um, trust you can't I, trust anybody in re i mean i you know i i'm a big sps nut and i don't care who i get an sps frag from i'm dipping that thing you know yeah, i'm not taking yeah. a chance even though i know that that person 
organization, company, whatever is like, you know, at the top of the, uh, the, the, you know, the list in terms of the way they keep their systems and you just can't, you, you gotta like, just be sure and do it yourself. Yeah. And you're cutting the base off and throwing yeah. it away because yeah. it's not worth yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so in a blanket sense, I'll always do uh, Prozzi, Prozzi Quantal. Um, you can do Prozzi Pro or uh, Furin 2 has both Prozzi and Metro in it. Um, that That's the thing I'll do no matter what, because you're taking care of uh, gill flukes with that, which can be pretty common in harasses. Um, if it, the two things you'll face the most are, are flukes and um, internal parasites, you know, worms, if you will. So that's where Metro comes in. You can do Metro uh, in the tank or a little bit better to be Metro focused and soak your foods in that um, and feed that. If um, if it's from a source I trust less or know I should trust less, then I will do prophylactically. I'll do copper. A um, couple key things there is use a chelated copper. Uh, so that's like copper power. Don't use uh, Cooper Mime or um, one of the ionic coppers. So, so know, know your difference on what the product is. Um, and then how you bring the system up to a therapeutic level is important. So you can go to one PPM pretty quickly, um, but then that one to two-ish jump uh, needs to be done slower with RASAs. I, I do it over like the course of a week. And um, I use a HANA checker, HANA copper checker. It's one of the best tools ever mm -hmm. for, for copper testing because if you've been around long enough and use some of the other copper test kits, they're all super inconsistent. Um, so Hannah checker is the way to live by. And, uh, I run it up to like 1.9 to two. I kind of stick to that range. Instructions will tell you to go to like two and a quarter. And I, I've seen RASAs, you know, from a, like a neurological sense get weird when it gets mm. above two and a 2.2 range. So I tend not to go up there. Um, and I've never had, you know, anything sneak through that I'm aware of by staying, you know, just right under two. So this is a good question. Uh, Kevin Johnson is asking, I know wrasses are good pest eaters. Are there any that eat uh, colonial hydroids? I have them spreading around my tank from a frag of the Zoas. Brown. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> no, nothing, huh? <laughs> um, all wrasses are, are pretty much carnivores. So, uh, you know, the things that they might eat, they're not going to be um, uh, a hydroid. I don't even know what might eat hydroids for that matter. I, I'm sure there's a nudibranch that does. Um, you know, things that eat aptasias, you might have some chance with. But what about um, yeah. what about flatworms? What, like acroiding flatworms? You know, I think there's always like I always like see kind of like anecdotal, um, you know, uh, evidence or whatever you want to say that uh, oh, you know, I've got acroiding flatworms, but I got a bunch of brasses in my tank, and they uh, they help um, you know keep that population in check. Is is that um, is that uh, true? And if so, what uh, races would you recommend for that? It, it can be true. Now, um, I don't want to paint the wrong picture. Everyone needs to understand that it's only going to be from a management perspective. You're not going to eradicate your flat right. with races, especially acro eating. Um, so, yes, they can help you manage through that problem and, and live with it. Um, it. The genus is, again, important. Um, some genera only feed from the water column, and other ones are, are benthric feeders, and they'll go around and pick things off. And so those guys in the latter category, halochorus, are great ones for reef tanks. Um, huge caveat here, but uh, pseudocolinus are also good for that. That would be like your six line and your mystery raft. Uh, those need to be the only raft in the tank if you're picking one from that genera. 
really important. Don't mix those guys with any other asses. You're in for a bad time um, eventually. Um, leopard grasses, maybe, but they're a little bit less of, uh, of an inspector, if you will, than, than some of those halicorus are. So this kind of dovetails into Insane Reefer's question. Uh, ask Hunter what wrasses are good together. I'd love to keep a radiant wrasse with a leopard wrasse. Is that uh, a good or a bad idea, those two? Yeah, you'll, you'll be okay. Um, I, I'd encourage you know anyone who's got um, basic questions here. I, I, I didn't mean to degrade the question by any means, but um, go, go check out my site, please, uh, therasguy.com. Uh, I've got all my articles on there. I've got uh, a long one that'll kind of walk you through um, some general guidelines. I always say guidelines. I never say rules because, you know, it's, we're dealing with live animals here. Nothing is set in stone. Um, so those guidelines are really based off of my experience directly or um, some collective experience along the way. Um, but yes, it's, it's important to know what genera you can mix with others and which you can't. And, and really, it's, it's the pseudocolinus are the ones to just flat out avoid if you're wanting to do multiple races. Halicorus and leopards go fine together. Uh, the anapsis or the uh, tamarins are, are also fine at throwing that mix. You know, I keep all those in my tank together. No problem. Um, yeah. Fairies and flaxes are fine together. Pretty much all of those together will will be okay. There are some halicorus that you definitely would want to avoid. Halicorus is a, is a catch-all um, genius, and there's like 60-plus species in there, and they're not all built the same. Um I'm not playing favorites here, but I saw someone much earlier, some half scanning his comments as we go, but much earlier say, I bought a Christmas grass and, and I smirked to myself uh, silently when I read that because um, that's one thing I, I rant about sometimes is, is common names. Common names are not common. Uh, they're, they're only common to the region that you are in at the moment. And so they're not even common across the U.S. and they're certainly not common across the world. <laughs> um, and Christmas grass is, is the, the classic example that, I could name you quickly five species that that common name gets slapped on, and they're all very different. Um, so I, the comment was, you know, I bought, I don't even remember who it was, uh, but, you know, I bought a Christmas wrasse, but I think it's Biosolatus, which is more commonly known as the red line wrasse, but some people call it the Christmas wrasse. And so, um, yeah, you probably, if you think it's Biosolatus, it probably is. And, and know that some people call that a Christmas wrasse. Um, and there's three halicorus that are called Christmas, the Biosolatus, uh, Claudia, um, which is probably the one that I would advocate for that common name to only apply to, but you know, who am I? And then uh, Ornithassimus, which is a little bit less common in the trade now because most of them used to come out of Hawaii. It has a broader distribution than just there, but that's where most of them came from. So I see less of those in the trade now, which I think is good because that, that last one, the ornate Ornithassimus, um, tends to get a little bit bigger and is by far the nastiest of the three. And, and uh, Claudia, those two are tend to be pretty mild, and you can mix with about any others. And then the the ornate ornatasimus uh, is just one you don't want to try to mix with others at all. Um, Jason Longer says, don't forget to mention Hunter's RAS compatibility charts and information um, on your uh, website. I assume that's where they can uh, find that. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So uh, I have one chart on there for uh, Sillalabras, fairy wrasses, uh, that is my best stab attempt at, you know, what you can mix uh, amongst the fairy wrasses. You can mix a whole lot, but there's certainly a few that you would want to avoid. 
Um, and again, it's guidelines, right? I mean, there are some of those guidelines you could violate. If, if you've got a 500 gallon tank, you're going to be able to get away with a lot more than someone with 120 gallons. So I see um, a couple of questions here about the um, uh, Melanoris uh, ras. Am I pronouncing uh -huh. that correctly? Yeah. Uh, the question yeah. was, do they eat flatworms? And I, I see uh, Adam from Frag Garage is saying, I've definitely seen them snack on red planaria flatties. Is, yeah, um, they will. Those are a good one. Those those are a good um, ras to have for uh, for flatworms. I've heard that before too. Yeah, it's a pretty common one. Pretty easy to get a hold of. Not too expensive. Um, generally, pretty mild. I would say like nine out of ten are pretty chill. But there is that you know that that uh, terrible odd chance ten percent that um, they can be kind of nasty and not so friendly to others. But um, odds are in your favor. This is a good question, and this is a question I had as well. Um, Brinks128, what wrasses can I keep with a bare-bottom tank? I know folks do that. Yeah, so um, there's a split there, too, and it's, it's genus-dependent. Uh, so some genera do not need sand to sleep in. They just sleep in a mucus cocoon, cocoon in the rocks. Um, I, I, I don't mean to plug this by any means. I, I'll just clarify right now. My, my site is my own thing. Um, plug, plug away, man. Plug away. Yeah. To be fully transparent, uh, rasguy.com. I pay 20 bucks a year uh, with Google to keep that running, and that's it. <laughs> um, there's no sponsors on there or anything else. It's just my 20 bucks to just put my stuff out there yeah. free for all yeah. and, and not on Reef to Reef. Um, there is a buy me a snail option. It's, you know, it's through buy me a coffee on my homepage. <laughs> if, if you want to throw me a few bucks, uh, I'm, I'm not opposed, but I'm also not, you know out here soliciting funds. Either. Well, no, I mean, um, it's a lot of work to put that information out there. So, uh, yeah, you should, uh, and, and so on my, my general guide, I, I break it down by genera, uh, and, and I put a note in there for each one, if that genus does or does not require sand. Um, if you have a bare bottom tank and you've got to, like, if you really want to keep it leopard grass, which needs sand to sleep in the, the only real way around it is you got to give them a sandbox. Uh, and, and by that, I mean a, a little container, you know, it can be Tupperware, it can be Gladware, uh, whatever, right. It can be a, a ceramic dish for that matter. Um, but you know, a little box with just an inch or two of sand in it. And, and you can, if you've got the, you know, right setup in your tank, you can hide it around in the back someplace. It doesn't even need to be visible, right. It just needs to be there and th they will find it and use it. Now, of course, they're going to throw sand out over time as they use it. So you need to, you know, you need to refill you know, the sandbox. Yeah, you're going to be vacuuming sand off your bare bottom and putting it back <laughs> in the sandbox. But if you're okay with that, that's how you can do it. Uh, John Gordon, Hunter, if you ever want a sponsor, let me know. So uh, there you go for the website. Um, All right. Thanks, John. Um, do do, do uh, you know wrasses that need a, a a sand bottom that have a sandbox in a tank? Is that stressful for them? I mean, is that um, you know a um, a uh, an appropriate you know, way to house a, uh, a RAS or is that going to just kind of stress it out since it's going to be, you know, looking for sand uh, all over the place. But I, I guess it's kind of hard no. to ask the RAS's feelings, but. Uh. Yeah. Well, I, I've had people bring this up before and, and, um, I guess, you know, after I've snorkeled enough wild reefs, you quickly, as you go around an actual reef, you quickly have the realization of the whole reef bottom is not sand, right? There's a whole lot of rock and everything else. There, there's only sand in certain areas. And so with that in mind, hmm. I don't see the problem, right? Like they, they have to be used to finding the areas that have sand in nature. So I don't see that any different in your tank. Now, there are some razes that don't need sand, right? There are certain razes, sure. that, right? And, and yeah. what would those be? 
Fairies and flashers are the two and best ones that don't need it at all. Um, mm, yeah. Interesting. Pseudocolimus do not either, but again, don't mix them with other asses. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was thinking from my Peninsula tank, but um, I don't know, man. I, I had some great luck without the uh, – so I mentioned Euro Bracing um, earlier in the uh, in the live stream. And, and uh, you know, my, my rationale is that Euro Bracing does help prevent some – Rasses from jumping out because you've got a little bit of a border around there, and if they're kind of surfing up the side of the uh, the tank on the glass or the acrylic or what have you, then uh, they get to that eurobrace and they get um, you know uh, rejected, and put back into the tank. But uh, so I had great great luck with my eurobrace tanks without screens, without uh, having any uh, fish jumping, including uh, rasses. But um, the last few years, not so lucky. It. Um, so I, I assume that maybe it, it helps a little bit, but I guess the best way to be safe about it is to have a good, um, uh, you know, top with netting on it, right? For, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, your bracing helps. It's a matter of time, though, before they go through the, the non-brace and out of the tank they go. Right, I mean, you were uh, saying before that uh, you, you had egg crate or whatever, and they go through the egg crate. I mean, that's a pretty tiny, um, you know, place to go through. Yeah, the clear quarter inch or even eighth inch uh, netting is certainly the way to go. It works great. You, know, you can find that in a lot of places now. It used to be hard to find a decade ago, but not so much. Um, here is another uh, good question, and it's a um, it's a, it's a, an appropriate question. Uh, Manny's Reef: Any wrasses that are not as jumpy as others? <laughs> mm, no, I mean. Yes, in the sense that uh, Halichorus and Leopards, the uh, Macropharagnon, are a little bit less likely to jump. They tend to go down as opposed to up if they get spooked. Um, however, that's not a, a license to say they don't need a tank cover because that's, that's totally not true. Um, that's like one of my, my uh, you know, must-have kinds of things for keeping a RAS. You know, right on that list always is a completely covered tank. And, and you know, I say completely and stress the completely part. I also like to say if the head fits, the fish fits. You know, if, if there is a hole big enough for the head of the fish to go through, it is a matter of time before they go through it. Um, so, you know, understand that and and have your tank completely covered before you get in the RASs. Otherwise, it it, it will be your heartbreak later. Yeah, Rob B's reef. Your bracing doesn't does not help. Laugh out loud. Um, but NSB reefs uh, rimless definitely doesn't work. Sean Clark, I have not had a jumper ever with your brace. So you know, so you know, we could get into the why why do rasses jump? But it, it's you know, it's it's a uh, yeah. Why do they jump? It's often they they get spooked, right? It's a defense thing. You know, I, I like to talk about um, the fact that. Again, we're dealing with wild animals, and we collect them off of a wild reef, you know, at, at considerable depths oftentimes, right? So if they get spooked, up can be a good way to go to, to escape a predator in the right situation. But they're not used to having the surface, you know, less than two feet above them. Right. Um, and, and so how do they get spooked? Well, that, that can be a lot of things. That can be the other fish. That can be an odd reflection. Um, that. <laughs> You know, that can be you walking by the tank. That can be a bird flying by your nearby window. You know, there, there's just endless amounts of things that could uh, spook them. And like I, I think I said it in there already, but they can spook themselves. Like you, you can, if you watch the tank long enough, you'll see just, you know, them spook for no apparent reason. And it's just what they do. 
Yeah. Um, you know, they're trying not to get eight, right? They don't understand they're in a tank with nothing that's going to eat them. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that all makes uh, sense. Um, all right, another question from uh, the viewers. Uh, Chris Officer 3, my dream RAS is the Red Sea 8-line flasher. I'm not I even, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the uh, the scientific name. What what how do you pronounce the scientific name? Uh Octotenia. I would not have gotten anywhere close to that. Um yeah. what would you suggest for a minimum tank size for that fish? Or I, I'm sorry, I said I said pseudocolinus. I meant to say paracolinus. Big difference. Um minimum tank size. Uh okay, so flashers, hmm. I've kept a lot of flashers over the years. I don't really like to keep them much anymore uh, just because they don't live long enough. It's like a four-year lifespan, and that's it. So wow. um, I, I've, I've bought some of the more pricey flashers before. Uh, yeah, maybe Paracolinus Belay is a good example. Bell's flasher. Um, those, those are usually several hundred bucks, um, you know, six, seven hundred, somewhere in that range. Uh, super pretty, but, you know, to buy them at the size, if they're pretty, you're going to get a year or two, and that's about it. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, so I got I got tired of the price tag for that. So the only flasher I really still like to keep, and I do, I have one in my tank now, is the 8-line flasher. Um, a few things. They get a little bit bigger. They're kind of an oddball. They're kind of somewhere in between a flasher and a fairy and how they look and their classification. Um, they behave more like a fairy than they do a flasher. So, you know. Uh, anyhow, my blanket um, recommendation for flashers is a three-foot-long tank. And, and that's because it's not so much of a volume, it's just the space they need to do their thing. When they really flip on the light switch and, and they're, you know, flashed out and zipping around, they really need, you know, at least three feet of length to do the thing. Um, you could you could keep one in a two-foot tank, but um, you're not going to get the, the flash behavior out of them like you would in something bigger. Um, yeah, it, you know, they're, they're really cool fish. You know, I... Um... I, I, I had one in, in one of my tanks and I didn't realize I had a flash of RAS. I don't know what, um, I was, you know, I, I bought this RAS. I forget the name of it, what, what it was, but, uh, then it started doing its thing in terms of like just changing colors. I was like, holy shit, man, that is like pretty bizarre behavior. And it was like really freaking cool that, uh, yeah. those fish can do that stuff. Um, this is an interesting question. BC, any RASs that are captive bred? just saw that yeah um so there are some uh i would i would refer you to uh um, biota biota group um dot com i think if you if you google biota uh you'll find them um everything they have is you know captive bred or captive uh raised i guess but no fish wise i think everything's captive bred these days um so there have been a few things uh cleaner asses have been captive bred i'm not really a fan of them myself um yeah to keep a cleaner ass you really should have a big tank with big fish and then you can keep the cleaner ass fine anything else uh may not work out like you think um there have been uh melanuris has been captive bred uh not at commercial scale but it's it has been done and another halicorus as well. I'm trying to think now if it was Biosalatus or uh, uh, Crisis, the the yellow um, yellow rafts. I can't I can't think which it was. I think it was Biosalatus. Um, so some halicorus has been done. Um, fairies and flashers have not been done at all yet. Um, mm. That's a bigger challenge for sure. Uh, but um, I'm sure there's people working on it. Um, there, there certainly was some renewed interest in, in pushing that along with the Hawaii fishery getting closed. 
um, because, you know, they still could be collected and done, um, you know, from a people, someone could collect broodstock, uh, still wild broodstock and then, uh, captively breed them and have those in the trade. It could be done for the right people with the right means. Um, so there's people working on it. I know, I know there's things happening, um, but commercial scale wise is still pretty limited there. Gotcha. Um, question we, we we've kind of talked a little bit about fairy races you know on, on your website you say they're one of the most elegant active and colorful um reef fish are there um are there any compatibility issues with those fish you know and um what are if so what are some of the guidelines for mixing them with other races uh no they're they're pretty pretty mild and easy going for that part there, there's a few uh species that that stand out kind of as a sore thumb that can be kind of uh on on the nasty side but um ninety five percent of them are are really easy going what about um just in general for wrasses diet what do you like to feed your wrasses you know what's a good idea in terms of a um you know feedings for for wrasses in a reef tank yeah, so that's another um, important thing too. It's it's kind of right up there with the the covered tank. Is uh, they need to be fed. You know, it's kind of like keeping an anthias. Um, you know, s small feedings often. Yeah. So personally, I I do I have um, I've been using the PE mysis pellets for a few years now. I have those on an auto feeder on the tank, so that feeds once a day, and then I'll feed frozen twice a day on top of that. Um, frozen wise, meaty things. I I like. Um, I mean, mostly these days I'm using LRS and uh, PE mysis, usually just LRS. Um, I've used rods in the past. I'll, I'll still buy it sometimes, too. Um, I'll use Hikari mysis in a pinch. I really don't like it compared to PE, but um, I, if I have to, I have to. It's, it's, I, I buy whatever I can get locally. So if I can get LRS, I'll buy that first. And if I can, I go to other things. Gotcha. Um Rob B's reef, my wrasse is getting found on copepods, which leads into my next question, uh, Hunter. You know, th is it better to add a wrasse to a mature reef tank that does have like an established pod um, population, or can you put a um, a wrasse into a, a relatively young reef tank and and feed it? What we we're just talking about. It depends on the genus again. So fairies and flashers, they're going to feed from the water column, and they're not really going to pick off pods on the surfaces. They might do it if they get really hungry, but um, if you're feeding them properly, you're never going to see them do that. Um, so those guys could go into a relatively new tank and, and be fine as long as the tank was prepared to be, you know, be fed that often, right? So, um, you know, not not cycled two weeks ago, yeah. but, but okay. Assuming assuming we're past that, right? Yeah, they could go in a, a few month old tank just fine. Um, some of the other guys that, that are more the benthic feeders, so um, halichorus are, are pretty easy for the most part, but like your leopard grasses and especially the tamarins, yeah, I would like to see a, a bit more of an established tank for them. You know, six months would be good, a year would be better. Right. Yeah. I've always, that's kind of like been my assumption with wrasses. Those are like the last kind of fish that I would add to a uh, to a reef tank. I You know, I'll, uh, I'll add hardier uh, fish like some chromis. Um, you know, whatever, you know, the tangs and, and for, uh, for, um, you know, algae control and then so, sort of like in the, you know, at the, the back end of my fish list, the wrasses would be kind of like the last I would put into the, uh, to the tank. Yeah. And, and a testament to that, um, on a, uh, a tamarin, on a, um, an abscess femininus, a blue striped tamarin, everyone, you know, ooze and ahs are that fish. So yeah. I, 
I've kept a few over the years. I had one for um, several years at, at, in my last tank at my old house um, to the point it was starting to turn mail on me. And uh, we moved across town, you know, like 20 minutes across town kind of thing. And, and I set up this new peninsula tank and I, I had to start over with new rock because I had a, a complete uh apora takeover in, in the old reef tank. Um, you know, it was total plague. Like I'd never, never do it again. Um, pretty coral, but, you know, basically like Aptasia all over the tank. And it's got a nasty sting. Anyhow, um, there was no way I could salvage those rocks. So I had to completely start over with fresh rocks. Uh, now I had cycled everything in a stock tank, you know, for a few months ahead of time. I was, you know, not concerned about that. Um, but I did have the concern of, you know, it's going to be a pretty fresh tank. Is the feminist going to be okay? And it's like, well, I don't really have any other option anyway. So um, do what I can. And and feeding like I do is still feeding two, three times a day, um, frozen at least twice. Uh, I, I lost that femininus after a few months. Um, and, and then I waited. I gave it a good year after that point for this tank to be you know, nicely established before I put one back. And, and I did. And I've been fine with the one I currently have for several years now. So you, you mentioned something that um, made me think of something that happened to me. You, you, uh, you said one of the races changed sexes. And um, so this happened to me, to one of my races. I had a... Um, an African leopard wrasse. I love ap- African le- leopard wrasses. The uh, the females. I always always have had the uh, the females. I think they're just gorgeous. Yeah, the the, the blue star. The, yes, uh, bipartisan. Yes. Yeah, I, I think they're so cool. The right Latin. And I've never had a male, but um, so I was. Uh, you know, I've had this fish. I had a. Um, I had that fish. I had a uh, the chiote leopard wrasse, and I had a. Um, I guess it's called a black spotted leopard wrasse, which is kind of like a uh, a more common leopard wrasse. It's white with black spots. I don't know if that's the. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, Malagris is the yes. Latin name on yep. that one. So I had those three, and um, one day I um, I, uh, I I I walked by the tank and I looked into the tank, and I saw this fish. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? I was like, holy yeah. crap, man, this thing, I guess it did a, it changed. It changed from like a female to a male. Yeah. You had green with stripes, which was not the yeah, fish you had I was before. like, what the hell? And, um, so what, what causes that? You know, I mean, that was weird to me because I don't think I had made any, you know, changes in terms of my fish population. The wrasses were the same, but this thing's just all of a sudden changed, uh, sex. I mean, are there anything, you know, anything that would spur that on or is it just, after time, it, it might happen. Well, yeah, it, it, after time, it might happen. That's, that's the real answer. Um, the, the why is all social dynamics. I mean, it's all a hierarchy in the tank kind of thing. Um, and and I've, I've made this analogy before, too, but um, most races, I mean, they all kind of have this push to become the alpha male. And then the females transition to male, and, and everyone's trying to kind of fill that that uh, role of king, if you will. Um, this this makes me think just real, real recent here. There's a video that's been circulating. I, I've seen it like literally a dozen times, dozen different places on Facebook in the last uh, two days now. But and I, if I talk about it long enough, I'm sure someone can put the link in to, to the originator here from Facebook. Uh, there is a school of uh, Paracolinus nursalum um, somewhere in uh, Indonesia. And... Uh, the, the thing that you can really dissect in the school is there, are, there there are more males than you can count. Like there is just males all over this, this video. And um, if you look close and there's some stiller moments in it where you can see some of the males courting females, but um, 
the male to female uh, uh, ratio here, it just looks completely skewed. It looks like there is, uh, you know, three to four males for every single female that you can see. And, and I think that's kind of a good testament to, to what happens there. Um, you know, so the females, even ones that are spawning and breeding with males for a few years, most of those tend to end up transitioning to male. Um, so, so, you, you know, it, it's a thing that happens in nature for sure. Um, you know, if it happens in your tank, it's, it's back to those sort of social dynamics. Uh, and so if a female, you know, feels, um, such that it can assume a position of power, that's, that's kind of what cues that transition to male then. Um, so if you've got other fish in the tank that are more dominant and, you know, um, I hate to say keeping it in check, right. But, but holding its place in that social hierarchy that could suppress that from happening. Um, but you know, if, if it's the only leopard grass you have, there's probably no one that's going to stop it. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a really cool dynamic, you know, and, and I, I was kind of bummed out because I did like the, <laughs> the, uh, the female uh, coloration, but, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm finding it tough to find those fishing out these days. I don't know if it's, uh, just kind of a, uh, cycle in terms of what's going on collecting those fish, but. Yeah, it's probably ebb and flow. Um, I see that from time to time where, um, you know, we can be in it data with some species for a long time and then uh collection stops for a little bit and a few years later it'll kick back up again so the uh you, you briefly mentioned the hawaiian ban um uh earlier and if uh if that gets reversed what uh what are you looking forward to, to coming back into the hobby i know the um what, what was the uh it, it was like a mated pair of um uh what was the other uh, races coming out of hawaii they were bright orange Several. Uh, flame yes, rats, maybe? Flame, flame oh, rats, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Cyrilabras, uh, Jordan I, that's a good example of one of the ones that has just gone. Like, you can't buy them now because there, there's no collection. Um, mm, I should caveat that. I have seen some trickle in, but um, it, it's people illegally collecting. Oh. It's, that's how those are coming in, you know. So, unfortunately, that, that does still happen. Um, it's handfuls, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest about that. It's not really a problem, if you will, in terms of uh, population numbers. Um, I mean, it's a whole thing in itself too. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably had someone talk about that on the show before, but, uh, one of the most well-managed fisheries in the world, all the data to show it's sustainable, right? And it, it didn't matter. Um, anyhow, so yeah, the, the flame wrasse would be one for sure. Potter's wrasses are endemic to there. I, I still have one because the one I have, I inherited from another reefer, um, I don't know the age of that fish now, but it's probably uh, six, seven, maybe eight years. He's getting big. <laughs> They're really cool looking fish. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen that species full grown before to where it's, uh, you know, probably, I don't know, like in the seven inch range. And they, they get kind of girthy Ooh. too. They get big top to bottom. Wow. Um, so I'm hoping I keep that one for several more years, but we'll see. Um some of the uh, pencil wrasses came out of there. Um, the ornate uh, halicorus wrasses came primarily from there. They do come from a few other places now. One of the other big ones that's completely gone now is the red-tailed tamarin. That was endemic to Hawaii. That's completely shut out of the trade. Um, oh, there's a few others, too, I'm sure. Um, i trying to think of any thalassomas. A lot of the saddle wrasses, the thalassomas, the, the, let me caveat, thalassoma is a genus that you do not want to put in a reef tank at all. Um, but for big swim tanks, they can be great in there. Um, saddles were primarily collected in Hawaii. They're found other places. 
uh, Serge Rass's same thing there. Um, I don't know. I could think about this and go on, but there, there's, you know, a good probably dozen ish species that were primarily or exclusively collected in Hawaii just grass wise. Yep. 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 I hear you. Well, yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens with that situation. Hopefully it, uh, will, uh, flip around, but, uh, you know, I guess the bummer is these days, the prices of fish, you know, and I'm not sure that's going to go down anytime soon. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on that stuff, but, um, you know, freight costs yeah. and just collection issues and all that sort of thing. And once prices are up, it's kind of like hard to envision them going back down to where they were. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt it. You know, if, if freight costs significantly came down, then then maybe we'd see some cost reduction, but yeah, I don't think it'll change yeah. drastically. All right, Hunter. Well, listen, man. I think we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I know uh, you need to uh, go and get some dinner there because uh, it's getting close to dinner time for you. But uh, any uh, any final thoughts in terms of uh, what we've been talking about tonight? Um, I don't think I've got a whole lot there. I definitely like to say, you know, thanks thanks for this opportunity. Um, it's been a great hour and a half. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Yeah, no, listen, man, it was great to get to uh, to know you. And, and for the folks that are um, joined us uh, sort of late, we uh, we spent a good uh, chunk of the first uh, half hour of the show talking about the uh, the situation at Reef to Reef. So there are two links in the video description. One's a petition and one's an update about the situation at, uh, at Reef to Reef. So, um, you know, I recommend you checking those out. Uh, and you could also check out uh, Hunter's website, the rasguy.com. We've been talking about it. It's got a lot of great information on there, and I will uh, certainly be using that as a uh, as a resource uh, down the line. But thanks, Hunter, man. I really uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, spend with us tonight. Yeah, for sure. I'll also mention on my website, I've got my uh, email address on there. It's just therasguy at gmail.com, but um, there's a few links to it. Uh, if you need to email me for questions, you know, please feel free. I know there's a lot of questions here in the chat that I'm sure we glossed right on yeah. over. So, um, you know, take a look at my site first, if you would, you know, just to see if you've got the answer there. But if, if you don't, um, you know, feel free to reach out and email. I answer several emails a week and um, I, I don't mind. You know, I might take a day to get back to you at worst, but I'm generally pretty prompt. Cool. All right. Well, listen, Hunter, thanks a lot, man, for uh, for being on the stream. I also want to thank both the uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring the uh, the show. I also want to thank all of you folks that uh, tuned in tonight for the uh, for the comments and the questions. Really appreciate that. also want to thank Paul, the moderator, who is uh, also the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. I also want to let you know that all episodes of Rapid with the Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rapid with the Reef Bum uh, live stream will be on Thursday, next Thursday, January 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with the guys from Polo Reef, Andrew Sandler, and Rashid Story. So that should be another great show. The uh, full upcoming schedule of guests you can find on reefbum.com under the YouTube section. So until then, be safe and be well, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Take care.